No taxation without representation. 200 years of exploitation in the capital of this nation. No representation in the capital of this nation. 200 years of exploitation. Give the people their right to vote. Someone asked me, was it true? The voting rights of the district were long overdue. That was Sweet Honey in the Rock with Give the People the Right to Vote. Hello and welcome to Shadow Politics, an hour-long grassroots talk show which will attempt to shine a light on the issues that you care about. I'm your host, United States Senator Michael D. Brown, coming to you live from the District of Columbia, America's last colony. I'm joined by my co-host, Marilia Duffels, and together we hope our show will start a dialogue about the issues that are important to you and affect the lives of all of us. So feel free to call in uh, at uh, uh, 888-627-6008. We are pre-recording this show Uh, So unfortunately, you won't be able to call in, but uh, I hope everybody will listen because this is an important show. We have an important guest, Pete Tucker. First, let me say hello to Marilia. Marilia, how are you? I'm fine, Mike. How are you today? I'm great. You're looking spiffy in your new headset. And (laughs) uh, we have with us today, we have Pete Tucker. Pete is a freelance journalist. Uh, who has a lot of friends in the District of Columbia, as a matter of fact. We've gotten a lot of positive uh, feedback from people about having him on the show. And he's written an article recently on his blog. He has a blog uh, called The Curious Case of Jack Evans about corruption in the District of Columbia. So we're uh, on the city council specifically in the District of Columbia. So we're glad to have Pete on the show. This is an important issue. Uh, it's, uh, ever since I've been elected, I've seen many, many people go down in the District of Columbia, and it amazes me. So, Pete, welcome to the show. Senator Brown, thank you so much. Uh, we're, we're, we're glad to have you here, and, and let's start uh, at the beginning. Let's start with the 800-pound gorilla in the room, uh, Jack Evans. We all know that, that Jack... Uh, resigned in in one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in politics. He resigned from his office in disgrace, and then a couple days later ran for re-election. I was amazed by that. Were you not amazed by that? Yeah, uh, there's a certain amount of gumption in that, that, yeah, I thought maybe Blake lay low for a little while, but, yeah, 10 days later, after resigning in disgrace, he was back at it, uh, announcing his candidacy for the seat that he just resigned from. Um, yes. And one of the things that I've been writing about him for a long time, but one of the things that fascinates me about him is, is not his corruption. It's the, it was the worst kept secret for many years, but kept from the general public by the Washington Post, his partner in crime throughout. Um, but one of the things well, that's so fascinating... Go ahead. No, no. Uh, uh... Yeah, I want to talk to you about the structure of the council and how that contributed. But go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead, Pete. No, no, not at all. Um, so, yeah, yeah, they're just what fascinates me is who aided and embedded Evans' work over many years and who was he corrupt on behalf of? It's not, it wasn't Donald Trump. He didn't come from money. Um, he wasn't 
benefiting his own businesses. He was the water boy for people with a lot of money who were, at the end of his career, directly paying him, earlier paying him through law firms to carry out, to benefit, you know, to benefit their businesses. And so that, that, and there's been no accountability legally for Evan, um, and there's been no, no accountability for his clients who were secretly paying him and who he was taking official acts benefiting. And what's so outrageous is that if you, we can go through the council and have one black council member after another who has been run out of office and sometimes into jail for stuff that is so petty and meaningless and trite as compared to what Evans did in any one year, let alone over so many years. And the other thing that's so aggravating is that look next door in Prince George's County, and I linked to some of two of these stories, but you could have a, a liquor store owner who bribes a state legislator. This is in Maryland. And maybe they give him, I can't remember the details, $30,000, and the person votes, you know, to help their get the liquor store license or whatever. This is corruption for sure. But there's real accountability. Folks go to jail for this. Yeah, I Meanwhile, agree with you. Evans was pocketing twenty-five dollars to $100,000 per client per year in his last couple of years. And there's no accountability for these clients. These are heavy hitters. And as you say, and Evans himself may 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 run again, and so the whole thing is is much more fascinating than Jack Evans, and um, that's why I stayed on it. And and I imagine it's the most fascinating thing you, one of the most fascinating things you've seen in your years in district politics. Yeah, it is, and and you know what? It's I, I agree with you. This goes far beyond Evans, and I just wonder. Uh, one, I want to talk to you about the structure of the council, but just in, in, in general, if we can talk about the culture of DC politics, which, which started with, uh, a guy that I loved, Marion Barry, but, but let's face it, you know, that's what Marion Barry did. They went after Marion Barry, Pete, as you know, for years for taking money and doing other things, none of which he did. But he opened the floodgates for all his friends, right? That that's how that's what he did. He didn't he didn't take bribes. He didn't take uh, uh, he didn't do uh, those things. But he allowed all his buddies to come in and do it. And I wonder if that's not the culture that we have in D.C. and and what you think about a structure of a council that allows you to have outside. Employment shouldn't we ban? Shouldn't 140 grand a month a year for a part-time job be enough for these guys? Shouldn't we ban them from from having outside employment? Because that's the loophole that Evans uses, is it not? That he was just all he was doing was 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 being a consultant to these guys, which is uh, what the council allows. Absolutely. Yeah. Go ahead. As far as second salaries, it is just unconscionable. You know, it's full-time work. It, DC, yeah. there's so much. Go ahead. 
No, I was just going to say, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's full-time work. What the hell is that, that you've got a part-time job? And several of them still do. You know, it, it, it's inexcusable. It, it's full-time work, and it's full-time remuneration. That's, that's real pay, $140,000 yeah. a year. Yeah. And by defining it as part-time, it opens up the door to having – these aren't just – I think that – People need to understand. It's hard to understand outside of D.C. that it's just a handful of legislators who have incredible power because D.C. is not a state. It should be. And so it's the state legislature and the city council and the you know county council all wrapped up into these 13 elected officials. And to have you're having the top decision makers in the state which should be a state in this jurisdiction who you can put on your payroll outside of the mayor and the council's chairman who have this defined as full-time work. The rest are part-time. So it is an outrage and you're absolutely right about that regarding the culture. You know, I think that, I think that a lot of it is overstated. I think that the post goes just bananas on black officials specifically who have a black voter base. I think actually it's the latter that is the most, the most significant. And look, Marion Barry wasn't perfect, but you're not going to find any politician in this country who doesn't do things for the people that support them. That's, that's not, that's not as like corrupt. And I'm not saying that there wasn't also corruption, but there's a certain level everywhere. Um, well, I don't think. Go ahead. That's true. I mean, that's true. And the only thing I would say about that, that Pete, is yeah, that's the blanket that they all hide behind. You know. It but, also hi. Pete. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Marilia. Oh, that's okay. If I could jump in here, Pete, I really admire what you do. It takes a lot of a lot of guts, a lot of chutzpah in the spirit. Thank of you, Marilia. It's really true, and you do such a good job. Um, Anyway, it also, um, in, in terms of what we're just talking about, it, it sort of speaks to a clandestine power structure, if you will, that cannot be toppled, especially, you know, when you talk about the post sort of tackling only the, the black uh, politician or council person and, and their constituency as opposed to the white. It seems to me that there is an entrenched and clandestine um, power structure and not so much clandestine, but sort of hidden just by virtue of the, the function that these people um, serve in terms of, of, you know, one back scratching another, one payoff to another. And that's why this sort of house of cards isn't toppled. It's not just that one person. You ask, you know, why didn't he um, suffer the consequences like what you mentioned, the PG County in Maryland uh, liquor store guy. And that's what I'm thinking. There is this huge hidden power structure that it is very hard to tease apart. And because it's all about power and it's all about exchange of monies and favors, it becomes even harder to tease apart. And these guys being more powerful than the, you know, the black council person in his, his ward. What do you I, think I, of that? I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I've been grappling with how is it that Evans isn't in jail? How is he, he hasn't been put on right. trial? And one of the things that I've 
think, you know, after the fact, looking at it, is that if you indicted Evans and he was facing real time, as he should be, mm-hmm. he could talk. He could flip. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I, I look at in this piece, one, one, one of his top patrons, Rusty Lindner, who's mm-hmm. CEO of his family's parking empire, Colonial Parking. Right. And he was right. chairman of the Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond as he was secretly and directly paying Evans and he was directing Evans. Uh, we have one, just one day the text messages exchanges, but he was directing Evans to take official actions and Evans followed through on those directions. That's just one client. If Evans was facing real time, he might talk. And then some really important people would be looking at the possibility of going to jail. Um, being charged, and so, and, and, and the Washington Post, I, I, it's a monopoly newspaper town, um, DC. Yes. And, and the Post, its history here is important. Maybe it's, and I don't think it's just ancient history. But if you go back in the 1950s, the then publisher Bill Graham, the Graham family ran the paper up until they sold it to Jeff Bezos a few years back, maybe 2013. Um, mm-hmm. And Bill Graham was not content to merely advocate for getting African Americans out of D.C. So he created an organization explicitly to do this. It was called the Federal City Council. It exists to this day. It's now diverse. It wasn't then. It was white business owners, and they got together to get rid of the African-American population by the capital, which they felt was an eyesore, low, low income, and they succeeded. It was the first urban renewal project in the country. The former first lady, Eleanor Roosevelt, toured it years later and said, where have all the folks living here gone? Well, they were pushed you know, east of the river and elsewhere. But I think that history of the of the post publisher not just being willing to use his newspaper to upend the city, but also to create what is what was a shadow government for many years before DC had it's not a state, but it has self self rule and didn't have that then. And so the post was often the the the, the Grams, the Federal City Council was negotiating with some of these racist congressmen, cutting deals, and really acting to the, as the government in, in many ways, the shadow government of D.C. And I think that history of where the Post stood, and you look fast forward, and there's been extraordinary displacement. And those council members who stand for, who are elected by, and therefore are going to respond to the needs of the black community, are to this day, Trayon White, go back a little, Kwame Brown, Vince Gray. And, and these council members, not that we're saying they're perfect, but they are targeted for removal if they are loyal to a black voter base. Because that t- population is, has been targeted for removal. And indeed, if you look at national studies, the gentrification in D.C. over the past couple of decades is worse than anywhere or as bad or worse than anywhere, depending on the study. I don't think that's a coincidence, and I don't think the Post has played just like a backseat role here. In fact, they were a driver of it, you know, going back a few decades. 
And Evans, more so than anyone, heading up the Finance and Revenue Committee for two decades, was at the very forefront of taking an ungodly amount of tax dollars, which could have been used to stabilize the folks who are hardest hit in D.C., but instead was used to uproot folks through the things like the baseball stadium, building a convention center, spending a quarter billion on a convention center hotel, taxpayer money. Um, and in turn, Evans has been, you know, was protected by the Post for so long. Um, so, yeah, there, and I, but yet, back to your point, I think that if Evans was charged and facing real time, I think he could sing, and I think that makes, that would be the upper echelon of D.C., the people who matter, the people who hang with the, with the matter to the post, that could be really upsetting. And so maybe that is the reason that this man, despite carrying out what has to be the worst corruption scandal far and away that this city has had, he's not been charged. Well, you know, I have to, uh, first I have to agree with Marilia that it takes a lot of guts to do what you're doing, Pete. And thank you for that, because I think you're absolutely right. The Washington Post is a singular voice in in, in Washington, D.C. Uh, they don't much care about it in Wards 7 and 8, but in Wards 3, three 4, and 6, and, and, and some other wards in the city, it's still a very, very powerful force. But Again, the structure of the way these guys are structured things, I think that whenever you ask politicians to police themselves, they leave giant loopholes in whatever laws they pass. So there's a lot of gray area that you can work in. And that's where Jack worked. And the difference between that and some of the black politicians is, you know, that Harry Thomas stole $350,000 from the Little League. They, they, he stole money. Michael Brown took bribes. They proved that. Jack, on the other hand, was not much this more, Michael Brown. No, not this Michael Brown. But, but <laughs> he me. was he was very subtle. You know, he maneuvered inside the gray area. So isn't that why he got away with a lot of the stuff? Because he says, because not only does he do it, but other members of the council do it. And let me tell you, your connection to Linder, this is the first time I remember hearing about all this stuff. So why why didn't they make why didn't the post why didn't other people make a bigger deal about this thing with colonial parking? And just let me point out that the reason that everybody in the parking business in the District of Columbia has become a gazillionaire is because Congress yep. Congress set it up so that you could only have a couple of people that own parking lots in the district. They set up monopoly or, or oligopolies for these guys right from the beginning. But anyway, uh, isn't the structure really the problem here? And, and it's not just the moral turpitude of the people involved, but the way the whole damn thing is set up. And well, Congress, definitely. whose role is to do the opposite. Right. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Pete. Sorry about no. that. No. Definitely as far as the second salary. You know, it's just unconscionable and outrageous. Yeah. Um, and, and as far as, you know, Linder, I, actually, I, it was Jeffrey Anderson at District Dig that first really opened my eyes to the role that mm -hmm. he was playing. There was this one uh, quote that he had. Um, well, basically, I can't remember the exact quote, but basically it was, it was one-stop shopping 
for Lindner through Evan's office, and uh, he exposed a lot. And so I fought, followed up on on that, and it, it, it's just amazing. It's just it's just amazing um, that and the, and Lindner's not the only one. You got Ron Paul of Eagle Bank who suggested to Evans how he should set up his own little consulting firm so he could get all the money so instead of having to wash it through. Um, you know, he, went, he was in law firms, the law for many years, and so people, companies could pay the law firms and Evans would get a, you know, just a salary, but then he could get all of those companies' money to set up his own firm. And so Ron, and Ron Paul was, I think, paying 100000 a year to, to, to Evans through various, um, through Eagle Bank and 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 uh, his person maybe it was his personal development companies. Um, so these the, the, these folks need to be held accountable. Um, I, I I think that the, the it wasn't it's not just that Evans was slick. I think it's that the, let me let me give you an example. Um, who is the, uh, the the post editorial page? Uh, Fred Hyatt just passed away, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that reminded me. I had one email exchange with him in 2010. I emailed him said, "Look, you guys are covering up for Evans." And uh, to his credit, he responded, and we had a back and forth. And I got an op-ed in the post, but he said. He, I had to change the title and the conclusion of the op-ed. I could, I, I, I was already, that was 2010, and I was already done with calling out Evan specifically. Because he wasn't slick. I mean, I, 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 Senator Brown, I hear, what you're, I hear what you're saying, but, like, also he wasn't that slick. Like, you could see it if, if, you, if you dug down into it, that he was, through his law firm, Patton Boggs, he had clients of the deal that the deal that he was doing. It was there was a layer of obfuscation, but it was there. Specifically, the convention center hotel deal, um, which I looked at very closely. And Catton Boggs, the firm he was then at, had as a client ING, which was a major financing partner of this deal that, through Evans's hard work, got a quarter billion dollar taxpayer taxpayer dollars, and so. I was allowed to get an op-ed in the post, and I would appreciate, you know, that Fred Hyatt got back to me and that ultimately I got that op-ed in. But I was going after the post because you mentioned how the post doesn't resonate in wards 7 and 8, that's East of the Anacostia River, these wards that are mm-hmm. predominantly African-American. But the post resonates unbelievably in Ward 2, which is Jack Evans' ward. And so yes. if it any... Yep. Moment, the post has done its job and exposed Evans. And again, you know, if myself and some activists and a couple of freelance journalists could have seen this, you know, in 2010 and earlier, I assure you, the post knew what was going on. At least they 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 heard that they, they knew what was going on, or they could have looked it into it. But they didn't. They didn't want to. If at any time they did, Evans would have been out. And so my op-ed was. I went after the post. I said, y'all are doing this. And I, I, my, concluded, my conclusion went after the post. I said, if y'all stop doing this, Evans is gone. I had to change the title and the conclusion. I could go after Evans, but I couldn't call out the post. And so I don't think Evans was slick. 
I don't think he got away with it because he was slick. I think he got away with it because his interests and the Post interests aligned, and the Post, while it's willing to just go absolutely bananas on Trayon White for getting a donation from the Nation of Islam when they do a lot of work in his work, you know, it's, it's, you can go on and on about like a $500 donation where they put multiple reporters on it and cover it from every angle, and oh my God. But they, they just refuse to do that for Evans. That's not Evans being slick. That's the best the post being slick and carrying out a really quite pernicious agenda. Well, do I you got. Think... I'm sorry. sorry. Go ahead, Morelia. Go ahead. Sorry, Mike. Um, Pete, do you think this this agenda of the post? Do you think this is truly an entrenched culture that has been planted, and with the mustard seed having been Phil Graham, and the very um, interesting thing you laid out for us, and that you think that still persists? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a different paper. No, no, it's still Don Graham's paper. I mean, Bezos has come in. Yeah, you know, he's backed by the greatest fortune in the world and maybe one of the greatest right. fortunes of all time and he's been able to add reporters but they tend to be reporters on the national scene um mm. so the, the graham legacy I, I think continues um but i think the proof is in the pudding like can you imagine if the post opposed the removal of african-americans from the city you know if they mm. covered the, the politicians who are elected by black officials, the way they covered for Evans, like they shouldn't do that, but at least have a level playing field. Then you, you wouldn't have seen this incredible displacement. You could have, I'm not saying there wouldn't be any displacement, but this has been bonkers. And it's not like the post objects to it. You know, it's history, which I think, I think history matters. It's history is that it not only supports it, it's willing to create an organization explicitly to do it. Um, so things evolve. It's different. There are excellent reporters at the Post. But the the overall gestalt, the overall push, it, it, I'd like to think it's changed. But when I look at Evans and all the corruption that he just and get, gets away with, and that the Post, even when they finally belatedly covered it, as Michael Brown, as you pointed out, Senator Brown, Ten days, days later, Evans ran for office, and days later, the Post called him a promising candidate. Um, so, well, you know, I have to interrupt you there. The, 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 the truth here, too, Pete, which, you know, I think uh, speaks loudly to some of the things you're, you're saying about if the Post had been on it, it, the outcome would have been different, is that when Jack ran, he got 3% of the vote. God bless the voters, right? They, 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 they he got three percent of the vote. I, I, that even surprised me. I, I didn't expect him to win. We actually supported Brooke Pinto. I was an advisor on her campaign, but uh, uh, I and I expected her to win, but but I didn't expect Jack to get three percent of the vote. I mean, well, all, there was all his cronies who voted for him. Yeah, yeah. Right. He didn't get anybody but the people that worked for uh, uh, Linder's outfit and the, and yeah. the bank, I guess, because <laughs> that, that's not many. That's not many people. And yeah, and I want to make it clear. I don't think he was slick. I think they left enough loopholes in yeah. what they do that you could drive a damn truck through it. Mm-hmm. And I think that 
I think that if uh, if Jim Graham, for example, had lived, uh, you, you know, we might all be reporting on similar activity with him, you know, because it was obvious from uh, his parking lot, uh, his deal with uh, Met when he was on the Metro board about transferring property and things like that, that, that he also was doing similar stuff. I mean, I don't know that he was getting direct payments from people, uh, but he certainly was uh, uh, going wild inside the gray area to, to the benefit of his, uh, you know, his friends. And I can't believe that he was doing that just uh, because he, he, he felt it was good uh, for the community. So I think that we, we still see these things go on and we need, uh, we need reform. And in your article, you say that the old boy network reigns in the District of Columbia. Uh, how can we change that? Do you, any ideas on how we change that? It's a good question. I mean, I would certainly welcome your 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 guys' um, take on this as well. I guess on the top of my head, I would think that public financing of elections would go a long way. Certainly, getting rid of this bifurcated salary where you could make six figures from the taxpayers for a full-time job and then get the higher six figures from some private interest. Um, I think if you're just getting money from the public purse, then I think you're more likely to be loyal to the, to the, to the public and fulfill your office as a public official better. Um, so yeah, I would think public financing, um, and, and one salary, um, would, would would go would take you know would take us a bit in that direction and certainly not just those things. How about people? Excuse me, wait a second, Maria. That's okay. Uh, no, go how, ahead. how about people like Phil Mendelson who have been there forever, and you know he's been chair of the council for a while, but he he, he was also a councilman for a very long time. Uh, when you talk about old boy networks, uh, you mentioned in, you mentioned him in your article as an enabler. Do we need to get rid of the enablers? Bill Mendelson, you know, longtime public servant, serious guy, but serious look, guy. like you got, he's a friend of Evans and he has a role here. Like the, the, the investigation of Evans that the council did oh so belatedly after Metro did an investigation, after the feds were already, said to be doing an investigation and it's subpoena documents, you know, the council did the, the most careful investigation to finally upend and get rid of Evans and no one else. They didn't disturb any of his clients. They, Mendelssohn even fought subpoena power for the law firm that he hired to investigate Evans. He finally relented and they got subpoena power and then they didn't even use it. So you had, you had people who are central players in the largest corruption crime spree that's ever hit D.C. by by so many orders of magnitude. And these folks were never subpoenaed. Ron Paul, the CEO of Eagle Bank, said as a Maryland resident, he didn't recognize D.C.'s jurisdiction, which is comical. The dude has bank branches throughout D.C. He's got one of the top D.C. legislators on his payroll and now he's going to turn around and just say, I don't recognize y'all. And Mendelssohn, you know, he, they didn't use their subpoena power. And, 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 and Mendelssohn, you know, he was, he was in charge. And he made sure that this ship didn't 
scaled so that Evans was off the council, Evans was out of the way, and just Evans. And well, and, and didn't I'm sorry to interrupt, but didn't uh, the Metro Board investigation didn't they can him almost immediately? Metro Board, he, was, he they they were much more quick acting. He resigned. Um, I think they were going to right. uh, remove him. I, I'd have to go back and look. But I think what happened was they, they produced a report, um, the Post published the report, and then within hours, Evan had submitted his res- is resigned, I think, is, is the way it went down. But they were clearly uh, ahead of the game uh, uh, on this. The feds were ahead. Everyone was ahead of the game on this. You know, Mendelssohn was dragging his feet and then carefully escorted Evan stage right and just Evans, no fallout from funders like Rusty Lindner, who also is a major, major donor to Mendelssohn. And there are others. You know, I don't, I didn't look up how much you know Ron Paul and others may have given to Mendelssohn. But the, the point is, there, there were heavy hitters who were backing Evans, and Mendelssohn, you know, helped to carefully make sure that the investigation, you know, got rid of Evans and, and didn't disturb anyone else. That's not to say that he's not a serious guy and a serious public servant and all, but you. I do think there should be a reckoning, a reckoning for this because this is you can't go on and, and criticize Barry and all, all these others, and then just kind of think that this is enough. No legal accountability for Evans or the people who are paying him. I well, agree. I think it's only going to get worse, and I'll tell you why. Because if you look at the um, if you look at Transparency International, itself not a perfect organization that puts out the um, the corruption index for for different co- for all countries, Denmark and New Zealand are at the top of the list in terms of being the most transparent, while Somalia and South Sudan are the least in terms of corruption. So that they have the worst corruption, while Denmark and New Zealand have the least. You see that the difference being that the Denmark and New Zealand are good democracies. Um, our democracy is not going that way. It it is deteriorating. It's degenerating. Um, And when you have that combined with economic disparity, which we are experiencing increasingly, you have voters who are continuously or increasingly disenfranchised and voters who are ignorant for lack of education as well. And these people end up staying in power. They don't get voted out. The rotten apples continue to run and they continue to win because money is behind it. It's the very corruption that continues to fund them. So I'm wondering if there is an organization, perhaps a domestic uh, version of Transparency International, domestic uh, Transparency Domestic, that can sort of take over um, because... There, I, I don't think there is any other way. Not that Transparency International is fixing Somalia and South Sudan or propping up Denmark and New Zealand, but um, if there were some true power behind that, um, maybe have this giant forensic accounting behind all these bad politicians and have it exposed, that might be a good start. Maybe it's Pollyanna pie in the sky thinking on my part. But until you have that, it's not going anywhere. But as long as you have deteriorating democracy, which I think ours is, thanks to Donald Trump and his cronies, it's not going to get any better. Well, and let me just add to what Marilia just said about what you're doing, Pete. 
You know, when you mention Eagle Bank, mm-hmm. I understand that, you know, that's a name that I've seen in the press many times on very controversial uh, developments, like the redevelopment of the library in, in Georgetown. And, you know, their their names mm-hmm. associated is is Jack Evans the tip of the iceberg, Pete? Yeah, and again, District Dig, um, Jeff Anderson um, did some really good um, early reporting on that. And I mentioned in the piece how neither Evans nor his, you know, his patrons are going to face accountability and go to jail. Ron Paul might be the exception. Uh, he, he faces some serious legal uh, uh, challenges ahead because he didn't just, you know, if you screw the public, there's, it seems like not a whole lot of accountability um, unless you're a, a black council member with a black voting base. Um, mm-hmm. But Ron Paul didn't just do that. He, he also, uh, and this, the short version is he used his bank to get sweetheart deals um, through his personal um, LLCs. Um, and that le- is what led to a uh, shareholder lawsuit and now has led to a federal investigation. So he's, he starts screwing with investors. It's a whole other matter. Uh, screw with the public, yeah. fine. But you screw with investors, right. it could be hot water. So he, 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 right. he might face some accountability separate and apart, you know, from any... You know, but as I said, he told the council he didn't need to speak to them because he was a Maryland resident, and there's no consequences uh, for that. <laughs> I don't know that the SEC will be so forgiving. Well, and you know, it... it, it that speaks to one of the first rules of politics, which is never bite the hand that feeds you, right? Uh, these politics mm-hmm. are never going to be tough on those guys. It's one of our it's absolutely one of, right. One of our problems with statehood, Pete, is that we send the mayor and the chairman of the city council who are beholden to the federal government up to lobby for us. So, so they don't, you know, they're not very tough about it because they need this, these guys who give them $800 million a year and also actually ultimately run the city. Um, so, uh, let me ask you this. Um, where does this conclude your investigation? You know, back to my question of whether this is the tip of the iceberg. Does this conclude your investigation? Or does this make you want to look further into other people on the council and their connections and, and, and what's going on in D.C. right now? There are a few um, strings that I may, I may pursue. I, I think the council, there's always going to be issues. I think the council is, as far as, you know, there are huge issues nation, you know, worldwide and in this country, I'm scared as well of direction that things are headed. Um, D.C. is like, you know, you can meet, you can go and speak with your council member, please, God, COVID will settle down. Um, you can testify, there's access, there's, it, it's a pretty darn good system of governance. Um, but there are there are issues, and certainly, you know, I read the paper, and there are things that that, can, that concern me. Um, and there are one or two other aspects here that I, that I am keeping an eye on, and, and, and may write about um, in the weeks and months ahead. So I'm not I'm not sure. There are I'm also there are also other 
subject areas that, that I'm driven to as well. Well, and you know, I think some of what you said, one of the reasons that I was so intrigued in having you on the show, Pete, I wanted you on the show uh, after I read your article, was that I've seen so much of this uh, on the per- as I, you know, work on the periphery for the past 15 years in, in, in D.C. politics. And also uh, because there are many things that you talk about that mirror the problems that we have. For example, you mentioned that the people, uh, that the Post has uh, uh, hired a bunch of great national reporters. Well, that's part of our problem, is that people in the District of Columbia know more about Hillary Clinton, the people in power, than they know about Muriel Bowser. They focus on national politics. We really focus on national politics. And, And I've got to say that it it uh, uh, surprises me when I look at how banana republics developed that you can say a lot of things about them that you can say about D.C. They were controlled yeah. by, you know, they were colonies controlled by another power and corruption mm-hmm. was rampant. You know, how much do you think that place that that people in power in the district really are concerned about national politics. They're really not concerned about local politics. How do we get them more concerned about, well, I think we get them more concerned about local politics by figuring out a way to get more Pete Tuckers. You know, I well, really yes. I appreciate, I appreciate that. But uh, I will, I just, you, you've been in around politics for 15 years. That's 15 years of countless meetings of being present of spreading the word. And I have, the utmost respect for public service, for folks on the council, for yourself, tirelessly raising the issue of statehood. Um, so, and I think you would have a better sense of what it takes to 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 get people engaged um, locally. Uh, but yeah, you would know. You've been on the front lines and doing it, and that's certainly something I respect. Well, you know, I, I really think that yeah, that uh, to get people like you to focus on local politics rather than, you know, everybody wanting to write about what the president is doing or, or, or what uh, Congress is doing outside the District of Columbia. I think that's really important. And I think, you know, because I, I, I know that you've been involved for, for uh, a long time, that people in Ward 7 and 8, uh, they are much more focused on what's going on locally than the people in wards three and four and six and one, you know, we're, we're all mm-hmm. focused on, uh, you know, what the latest, uh, what, you know, how many people did Donald Trump talk to prior to the insurrection? Not that that's not important. <laughs> it's very important. But, right. uh, but, you know, we really in Northwest, right. Life is good in ward three. I live yes. in ward three. And 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 Marilia lives in Ward One. Life is good. Or, I'm sorry, in Ward Two. I always get the two those two wards mixed up in Ward Two. But you know, life Very is bland. good for us, right? We send yes. we can send our kids to private schools if the schools yep. suck. We can, you know. Um, so my personal opinion, I don't know how you feel about this, is we need to do things in Anacostia that bring the people from wards three and four over there. So we need to, we need to, you talk about segregation 
that was uh, promoted by people that started the post and stuff. We need to put an end to that. We need to figure out a way to get people back together, don't we? You know, it's something I suggested to Muriel Bowser about two to three years ago, and it fell on deaf ears. I think that would be a, not to pat myself on the back, but I think that is a huge necessity. I think it would be very important to do and to open people's eyes and to have them experience what goes on over there. And people in Ward 7 and 8 are more clued into the local stuff because they rely more on the government programs than the people in our wards do. Yeah, it's more important to them. So, Pete, we're starting to run out of time here, Pete. So let me first uh, ask you, what haven't we asked you? What do you want to say that you haven't said? Is there something? I don't think so. I appreciate the opportunity to join with you guys. Um, yeah, I don't. I think we've covered a lot of ground. Well, and I think we have too. And I think that one of, another reason that I wanted you on is that Marilli and I are uh, this 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 podcast that we do goes out over a network called BBS, but it's also now on We Act Radio. So oh. it's going to play. It's going to play three times. Uh, in D.C. this week. And I think it's an important show for local people to hear. So I'm glad that you joined us and, and I'm glad that BBS has picked us up and that you'll be, uh, we'll all well, be on the radio, we'll all be here so people, you know, in Washington can actually can actually hear this. And well, that again, gives, me the, oppor- that gives me the opportunity um, to not just thank you guys, but to give a shout out to We Act Radio and Kamon Freeman, my buddy um, over in Anacostia. Um, and you mentioned about how everything is nationalized, and it's a scary time um, with so much focus, not just the Post, but elsewhere on national um, publications and too few local reporters. I come from a, a, a newspaper family, folks ran the local newspaper where I grew up uh, together. And uh, it's harder and harder to do. And, you know, to create a radio station like we did um, on a shoestring budget and just keep at it over the years, um, I'm so, so impressed with Kimon, and I'm glad glad your program is airing there. Well, and you know, you know what? I, I'm not really sure how you can know Kimon Freeman and not like this guy. He's got so much positive energy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so how, how do you and I, Pete, start the Kimon Freeman for mayor campaign? Uh, you know, how do we, uh, how do we talk Kimon? How do we talk to people like Kimon into running for public office? Would, would you think that would make a difference? I think it would change the district dramatically. I think you'd get some engagement. I think, I think Kimon would be, yeah, the, the dude knows how to handle himself for sure. He does. He certainly knows how to handle himself. And, and, and so do you, Pete. Uh, Absolutely, and, what I was going to say. Yeah, and we so appreciate you being on the show and the work you do because we don't hear enough of this. And when you talk about your interaction with the head of the post-editorial board, you know, I since I've been elected, I've had 21 opinion pieces published in the Washington Post. And every time I've said anything that remotely criticizes the post or puts them even, you know, is doesn't glorify them in some way. They haven't printed my piece. 
Is that right? Yeah, so I've had 21 published, but I probably submitted 60 pieces, you know, <laughs> and, and, right, and, and, and I say I, I, I'm convinced that in the editorial department of the Washington Post, there's like a nut drawer drawer in some filing cabinet where a lot of my a lot of my work has come to uh, rest. But, yeah, anytime I suggest that the Post hasn't done their uh, you know what they should do. It's it's not that they don't they that they take it out of the article. They just don't print. They they're they're done with it right there. So I've learned now that I don't do that. You know I criticize other people, yeah. but I don't criticize them. You know and yeah. and uh, that's sad. Uh, yeah, and it is sad because really isn't that their job? You know my. Uh, uh, my colleague once told me that I would never get another piece printed because I I, I wrote to them and said that um, they think they're a national newspaper and they don't cover our hometown issues enough. And I said, you think you're the New York Times, but you're not. And he goes, oh, what? my God, how can you say that? They would never print another thing for you. Well, so. the, the Post putting your, your op-eds in some little drawer they're certainly antithetical to their motto, which is democracy yeah, dies in uh, darkness. So. Exactly. So, so Pete Tucker, thank you for being the light that you yes, shine. Yes, well Tucker. put, Mike. That's fantastic. And thank you, up. Pete. Really, really major kudos to you. Thank you guys so much for having me on and keep up the good work with the show. Yeah, and you keep up the good work. And the more we read about your good work, the more we're going to want you back again sometime, Pete. I hope you will come back uh, as as uh, you move forward. And we do really appreciate you being one of those people that's out there uh, on the front lines uh, trying to shine a light on things. So Absolutely. thank you for being our guest, and we hope you'll be back soon. For sure. My pleasure. All right. Happy yeah. holidays, Pete. Yeah, happy holidays. And, uh, you know, we usually play a song going out. Uh, we don't have a song for tonight, uh, but I'll talk to you about that, Don. Maybe we can add a song at the end of the show. But uh, You got it. You got it, sir. We, we appreciate uh, everybody being with us for this. And, uh, Marilia, I'll give you the last word. Pete. I don't know how much time I have or how much time you have to answer, but I always think it's important to see what pivotal events in somebody's life in childhood, whatever, kind of um, set them on the path to do great things like what you're doing. Um, And so I wonder if there's something in your life that got you on the track of, of putting the lantern on corruption, which I think is commendable. Funnily enough, even though I grew up in a, newspaper family. I never saw journalism as anything I wanted to do. Um, But I moved down to D.C. My mom was down here. I was going to finish and did ultimately finish my Master's of Education. Um, But I was listening to the Pacifica radio station in D.C., WPFW, and they said about a a meeting and there was some community activism. And, you know, I'm from northern Westchester County, New York. There's just not protests and I don't even know where you'd go to protest if you go to Albany, New York, or New York City. Or and then I met, you know, I went to these meetings and just met all these activists, and there's protests, and I was like, just in heaven. Um, <coughs> and uh, the issue that finally tipped me over from just doing activism to reporting was 
actually the building that's catty corner from where the post is now, which is Franklin Shelter. Um, <laughs> this is a shelter that's at 13th and K Street Northwest downtown, mm-hmm. and it was imperfect for sure, but it was metro accessible, so that there were guys who it was a men's shelter, and there were guys who could actually get a job, which because you could get to the metro, you wouldn't spend all your day going to and from, and mm-hmm. and I watched the coverage of that. I was just so angry. It just uh, it wasn't until the shelter was about to close that anyone bothered. To, it was kind of too late and bothered to do anything about that. And that's when I finally said, you know, I'm going to try and do some reporting m- myself. And and uh, yeah, it's been a bumpy road, but yeah, but that's that, that's what kind that's of lovely. kicked me off to it. Well, and you know what? That's a great way to end the show, too, Morelia. And that's the way a lot of people get involved in politics, you yep. know, right? Right? You hear some mother who says, uh, I ran for the council because I started because they did something at my kid's school. Or some guy that says, you know, there was some transgression and I stood up against it. And that put my feet on the on, on, on the road to politics. And uh you know, uh, so so that's I think that's a very typical story, and uh, and it's great. It's great that you you've done that. Of course, I'm in politics for the money, you know, but but <laughs> a lot of people are are in it for, in for DC politics. For the yeah, money. <laughs> for DC politics. What what what's that? What, is, hopefully, you do get a salary. I hope you do, but I don't know. Well, that. you know, I don't see that coming anytime soon. Uh, Pete, but would you and I'll top off the air. Maybe that can be your next uh, uh, <laughs> a great article. Pay these guys; they deserve it. But Absolutely. anyway, thank you, thank Marilla, you so much, Brown, Pete. Thank you so much. Okay, thank and you, we'll, Pete. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Um, and um, as Marilia said, I hope everybody's having a happy holiday. And and uh, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next thank week. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Bye. Bye.